Hello, and okie dokie, okie dokie, we are about to do something I have never done. We are going to do two shows at once. I am sharing this really fantastic show with, or guest actually, my fantastic guest, with all of you. So we are doing a new spin on Autism Answers, where we believe that questions should have answers that lead to new solutions, awarenesses, and perceptions that change the face of things. We are also doing okay 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 it's the great guest giveaway within that and on top of that we're doing a second show all at one time this is chaos for me but my brain can handle it we're doing the brain broad builds a brain and i am the brain broad my actual name is lynette louise lynette louise is my actual name i am called the brain broad because i fly at home and abroad helping people with brain dysfunctions in fact i took the b-r-o-a and tried to come up with something. So it's brain repair, overcoming astronomical dysfunctions. And that helps you to remember. And it takes away from the fact that I'm really abroad because I was a bit of abroad as I raised all my kids and had to be tough with all those educators and all those medical professionals until finally I became one myself. So that's the history of me. We are going to get into my guests. I'm thrilled, I'm thrilled, I'm thrilled. I have wanted to talk with this gentleman four years since I first heard about his case. Super, super excited. We'll bring you all kinds of great new thoughts. And the great guest giveaway is going to be me. Unless, of course, we can get Jason Padgett, who is going to be the guest, to give away a copy of his book. Now, Jason is the epitome of, you know how in the Brain Broad show, we always talk about that the brain is constantly developing. You're either building your brain or you're letting it regress and and become less and less capable. So it's always going, it's in motion. It's growing or it's receding like the wave. You know, it's like getting bigger or getting smaller, getting bigger or getting smaller. And in that, what I mean is the, the connections, neuron to neuron, the dendrites are constantly reaching out with new arms and legs trying to talk to each other, and, then, and the brain is like either very active or we're a couch potato and we're not putting anything in, we're not asking it to grow, and it starts to fire less and less and less. Wow. That sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? But maybe you could be struck by genius. Our guest today penned a memoir, Struck by Genius, how a brain injury made me a mathematical marvel. And by the way, that's going to be turned into a film with Channing Tatum, and that makes sense because he looks uh, kind of cute, this guy we're going to talk to, a lot like Channing Tatum, so I think that was a good choice. Um, His story is so deliciously interesting. I don't want to talk anymore. I want to immediately introduce you to him, and then we'll just uh, make our points as we go. But I will be doing at the end of the show all of the things that I do in both. So we'll be doing stories from the road and the brain brought us the google gods how do you fix that (laughs) so this is going to be jam-packed listen up have fun here we go hey jason thank you for making yourself available thank you very much for having me was that like the craziest beginning ever (laughs) (laughs) that's not bad actually it's very interesting I, i agree with everything you're saying you know the plasticity of the brain and and it's absolutely amazing how when you're not doing anything, it does just slowly start to come apart. But when you're doing something new, you know, and, and difficult, you're making those connections and, and making your brain stronger, literally. 
Yeah, and it's so interesting, you know, that saying, what fires together, wires together, has been around so long. People will spout sayings like that, and they won't really stop and think, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to keep it firing? Do I have to keep it connecting? And it's like the phrase, struck by genius. You hear it all the time. But I've never talked to anyone who was struck by genius before. I'm so excited because I work with people who are so challenged that would love it if you would come up and hit them on the back of the head and all of a sudden they had skills. So let's get into it. Let's tell your story. You were just uh, working in, what kind of store was it? I'm a futon store. Um, Our family uh, manufactures futons and mattresses, and so I was selling futons in Tacoma, Washington at the time. Okay, and so I have not prepped this story for my audience at all. Uh, I'm going to let you do it, and then I'll just—I'll okay. interject occasionally with questions. So let's go. So tell them what happened. Well, basically, uh, I, I got a call from my friend uh, Angela. She was on a first date with this guy, and they were at a karaoke bar, and they had too much to drink, and they needed a ride home. Uh, so I went there, had a Coke, sang a song, and there were two other guys that were there. They didn't look mean or anything, just, you know, typical-looking guys. And uh, anyway, at, we, I went up, paid my bill, and as we left, the guys left behind us, and we didn't even think anything about it. Well, right as we exited the restaurant, they attacked me from behind. I didn't see anything coming. Um, the people who, who saw it said they ran up behind me, and the first one just at a full run smashed me in the back of the head. Uh, from my perspective, I just saw this just like somebody took a picture. You know, you hear about box, boxers talk about like a flash knockdown. That's mm-hmm. exactly what it was like. It was like somebody took a picture, I saw a puff of light, and the next thing I knew I was on my knees getting kicked in the face, kicked in the back, uh, everywhere, uh, trying to figure out why I was on my knees, why the world was spinning. Um, and then I remember having this realization that I was being attacked and then thinking I was being attacked by a, a gang because I was getting hit so much and I was still so out of it, I didn't understand that it was only two guys. And then I had this this sensation of, of absolute knowing I'm dead right now. It's over. And and that fight or flight stink, uh, you know, instinct came on. And weirdly, because I'm not really violent either, but the only thing I thought was I want to hurt one of these guys before I die because I, I was so certain I was dead. And I remember I reached up and grabbed one of them <laughs> in between the legs, pulled him down to the ground and bit him on the thigh. And as I was biting him, the first time I tried to bite him, uh, actually, he was wearing these big baggy pants, and all I got was fabric, and I cracked my front teeth. I bit down so hard because all I got was fabric. Then I bit down a second time, got him, uh, and he started yelling, and then the other guy just kept kicking me repeatedly in the back of the head. And finally, after like maybe 40 seconds of this, a long time, uh, one of them said, or the guy that was kicking me said, give me your goddamn jacket. And I had this little cheesy $99 Wilson's leather jacket on. But by that time, it was already torn. The pocket was ripped. And I threw it off myself, rolled off of his friend, and they grabbed it, and they ran away. And uh, and, and it wow. turned out they wanted my money but, because they thought my wallet was in my uh, jacket. I caught them. It took a week to catch them, but I did catch them. You went and caught them yourself? Yeah, I caught them myself. That's a little story within the story. I ran back in the restaurant uh, and... And all these people were watching. Nobody called 911. Uh, the the oh two girls that worked there, the waitress and the bartender girls, I said, the, the guys were singing karaoke. I'm bleeding. Um, the police are on their way. Uh, and, and it's you know clear what just happened, and everybody watched it. And I said, hey, they were singing karaoke. Their names are on their karaoke slips, and their, that's their dishes on that table that has their fingerprints and their DNA, so save those for the police. And then the girl said, no, if you want those, go look in the garbage cans. And wouldn't let me have them, wouldn't let me call 911 from the restaurant. 
And so I knew that somehow the girls were protecting those guys. I didn't know why. And uh, so we went and got 15 people from Labor Ready, and they ringed the restaurant with signs that said, violent crime happens here, ask us about it. And it took like one hour, and the owner came out and gave us the people's names. And it was the two guys were dating the girls that worked there. And so the girls, you'd pay your bill, they'd see who had cash, and bam, you'd get mugged as you left by their boyfriends. So, uh, and we, yeah, so we showed up at the guy's house with the police like seven days later, and uh, it was great catching them. It was great. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. That must have – that's amazing. So already that's amazing. Never mind what then happened. That's crazy. Okay, so you took action. Congratulations. I'm impressed. Everybody, you have to take action. You have to keep your brain firing. You have to go after what you want. All right, so yeah. – so when did you first get the symptoms? Um, I noticed that night coming home from the hospital uh, that everything was all disjointed, like 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 you're watching an old flip book. Remember, you would like you could draw pictures on pages and then flip them, and the cartoon character would look like it's moving, but it looked all jittery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like, by the way, I had synesthesia when I was young, and uh-huh. that's how it looked. So to me, that's oh, the old world. So go on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, and, and I noticed it that night, um, but I remember thinking it was the pain medicine because I went to the hospital, which was just literally right across the street from the restaurant, and they gave me some really powerful shot, and I, it just you know knocked me for a loop. And so I thought, wow, this is some wild stuff. And uh, but then in the morning when I woke up, it was absolutely clear that it wasn't. Uh, and in fact, I had vertigo, all sorts of problems for a while, uh, just getting used to it. Because the best way, I, basically, it's like everything has changed the way things look uh, when, especially when they move. Imagine like uh, you're you're watching television and you hit pause and then you hit pause again and you keep hitting pause and you know how you see frame by frame by frame? Right. That's how right. everything looks now. It has this discrete, disjointed uh, quality to it that makes everything look slightly pixelated because when you compare yeah. the frames, it, it makes everything have this very slight pixelation and, and curves are gone. Everything that used to have a curve looks like it has these tiny little edges you know, created from these frames. And you know why I thought it was so wonderful for you to be on both of my shows is because I have this audience that just listens to my one show predominantly to find out about autism. And a lot of what you're describing, I think, is what goes on for people that are processing visually with autism. And that's why they'll say they think in pictures, they see things differently. I was on the autism spectrum myself and I saw pixelation. So you're giving an insight because you have a comparison to what it used to be like. See, somebody who has a, has this sort of disorder or dysfunction or genius um, can't explain it because they don't have the comparison of the yes. before and the after. So you're like this great gift to us. It's very exciting to me that you're sharing. So I, didn't, I just wanted to make that point so that the people listen with a new ear. So go on. Explain yeah, your world. That, that, that you, you saying that uh, is I, I feel another thing about my personality that was changed is before I was like run through the brick wall to get to where you're going. Conflict, I had no problem with conflict. You know, it, it didn't bother me. Now I I can't even stand to hear it. And I was, uh, I, I anyway, um, I, one day after this, it was several months after this, um, I, I wound up, I was in my dad's store, and a lady came in, and her son had autism. And I felt this kinship to him and this connection 
that I had never noticed before when I had talked to anybody who had autism. Like when he came in, he was talking to his mom and then she was talking to me, but I instantly recognized that he wasn't talking to her. He was talking to me through her. And she was like this buffer between us that made it not so intense. Yes, and that's so common. And how did? Why did that feel like a kinship to you? What, was because that I, something I feel you that way now. Like all I want to do is avoid. Like when people look straight at you and they're too intensely looking at you, it, it just it feels intrusive now. Because you, I'm, I, maybe it's just because I'm aware of so much more. Um, but and I'm constantly cannot. I'm mean, constantly trying to get away from conflict uh, because. People are just intense about the wrong things, I guess, and, and I get very overwhelmed very easily, whereas before I didn't. Um, now, right. I mean, I was a, after this happened, I went to my house and did not leave except for to get food uh, and for absolute essentials for three and a half years. I had blankets over the windows, like three layers deep, um, just suddenly could not deal with the intensity of, of people and, and life at all. It was, it was a complete 180 from how uh, life was before. Okay, so I actually, as a brain expert, understand this, but what what I want you, is your subjective experience a little deeper in. So here you are, you're seeing in pixelation, but it's more than pixelation. You're seeing it as a mathematical logarithm or presentation Absolutely. visually, right? Yes. What I started doing is a realizing that it's okay everything has a slightly pixelated quality and if if i what i started doing is mentally overlaying a grid across everything that i was looking at and i found as long as i made that grid sufficiently fine that every motion across my field of view would line up with the vertex point on that grid well as i learned later on when i went back to school that's what calculus is is slicing things up into these smaller and smaller integrals or at least integral calculus and the way that the angles or the edges of these frames change is what derivatives are secant approaching the tangent line but basically by seeing in in these frames and and seeing that slight pixelation it is forcing you to think exactly how calculus works you can't avoid it it's it's just that is the way and that's the way we're all doing it it's just that all of us our brains are smoothing out those picture frames because it's not a successful survival trait you know it's very disorientating so you know, that's right. why it hasn't developed. But, right, and and, and, tr- and he, he's absolutely right. That is how your eyes do. They, they grab a picture, grab a picture, grab a picture, grab a picture, and then it's the brain that processes it and tells us it's smooth. Yes, yes, and that smoothness is gone, and, and what it does mathematically is just amazing. And patterns really stand out um, because you can see how, how, like, how the arc of that cloud for this interval of time is the same as that arc, but just a little bit bigger. So it was moving the same direction, but just for a little bit longer or faster. Uh, and patterns are just very obvious, very, very obvious. So you end up with a dysfunction that's also a gift and a challenge. This is so, this is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing this with us because we deal with so many people who are sitting there brilliant um, with a gift to share, but we're seeing the dysfunction and shutting them down. And what I, I just love that you had this, I'm sorry that it happened, but um, I love that you had this problem. You shut yourself away. You end up with the OCD reaction, the sensory overload reaction, and yet you're becoming more brilliant. So how did this, how did this get to where you could actually end up married and functioning and how did you handle it? It, it took a long time. I mean, for that three and a half years, um, 
like I just OCD just went crazy. Um, I would I'd notice everything where everything had been touched, you know, and and uh, and it was just it was depressing. It was a very dark time, but at the same time, there was this this like mathematical awakening. Is the only way I can describe it. Um, but I had no way to I had no way to describe it except for layman terms because I had all I had was pre-algebra from high school. I didn't even I couldn't I didn't even know you could graph an equation at the time, and so I just started drawing what I was seeing like mad. I mean hundreds and hundreds of these drawings, and uh, and trying to explain it to people. And then one day um, I had to leave the house. I ran out of food and I wound up getting a subway sandwich, which was rare. And when I was there, I was drawing, and a guy started talking to me, and he said he was a physicist, and uh, he said, what you're drawing sure looks like math, and what you're talking about sure sounds mathematical, but you're not saying it in traditional math terms. You're saying it in layman terms. He said, I've never heard anything like this. He goes, why don't you go back to school and see if you can learn traditional equations so you can explain it to us in our language? And that's what I did is I went back to school and that was the day that things actually started to slowly get better. I had, I mean, when I'd come into class, I would have to clean everything up the seats and the tables with these bleach wipes and, uh, and, but I had a really nice teacher and who was okay with it. And, you know, over time, uh, I started seeing a doctor about desensitization therapy, you know, where you would clean something and then touch it and then touch your face and, slowly touch right. things that you perceive to be dirtier and that that helped me to be able to to get out in public but also when i went back to school uh, and started learning traditional math i met my wife um who that changed things dramatically so nothing like a motivator is <laughs> there isn't it's weird that my wife it's like it was we were joking the other day we're like sex and love for your child sex you know with your wife <laughs> children overpowers OCD because I can change dirty diapers and I can kiss my wife, you know, but yeah, no, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. It's the one thing that I'm so frustrated by sometimes when I'm working with, especially the sensory defensive disorders, because everybody, um, everybody wants to pull back and say, Oh, they don't like to be touched. Oh, they don't like this. or they don't like that. But the whole desensitization thing means you, you do, you ask the brain to grow into a place of comfort. And then if you can let them have their motive, and use that to get them to do stuff, everyone can get get to a place of comfort, really and truly. So yes. love, yes, <laughs> romantic love and parental yep. love cannot be beat. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, and and what seemed like the worst thing ever turned out to be the, the best thing that's ever happened to me. We have, we've got a one-year-old daughter, uh, Jackie. I also have an 18-year-old daughter from a previous relationship but, uh, named Megan, but... But if I could go back in time now, I'd have to let those guys beat me just because, I mean, everything that's happened since then has been amazing and things I never thought I could even begin to understand, you know, I can. And since I only had layman you know, terms to explain it, it makes it easier to explain to people when I give talks uh, so that everybody can understand it, not just the people who have degrees in physics and math, you know. And that is just, to me, that's probably the best gift because I try myself to read studies and all that, and I have to do it on the treadmill because it puts me to sleep. So just to stay awake enough. Yeah, they they purposely make it distant from anybody who might be interested. It's Absolutely. I agree. So I I, I can't, I, I read some of the stuff and I'm like, you can literally see the patterns, how they're trying to, 
many times copy fancy words to describe things that you don't have to have a fancy word to describe that. And it, it's almost like if, if you don't use that word, you'll, you'll be considered less intelligent by by those who are who are you know or more educated, educated. in in verbiage yeah. that will keep you from knowing that they don't know a lot more than you. They just had a particular specialty. <laughs> really, right. to tell you the truth. Yeah, it's funny now understanding how it works. When I talk to some teachers, math teachers, a lot of them understand it, but some math teachers I talk to them and I realize, wow, they they don't understand this. <laughs> they're they're able to teach the equations, but they don't understand where it comes from. Okay, okay Jason, this this is the most exciting show. I'm having a great time. Um, when we come back from break, we're going to talk to Jason about some possible ideas on how he thinks we could better work with our peculiar brains if we have a peculiar brain, and trust me, I have one. All right, so you are listening to two shows at once. How awesome is that? We're talking with Jason Paget. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host for the <laughs> a new spin on autism answers, but we're also doing the Brain Broad Builds a Brain. Build a brain, build a brain. Once you learn to do it, you are never the same. Build a brain, build a brain. On purpose, with Brain Broad. And I'm still Lynette Louise. Lynette Louise is my actual name. So welcome to both my audiences and thrilled to share Jason with you. Do stay to the end of this show where I will do both shows endings, which is Stories from the road, and the brain brought us a Google God. How do you fix that? And in this case, I don't think we're looking at how do you fix it. I think we're looking at how do you best work with it? How do you make it a blessing instead of a curse? And if ever there was a story that says this could have been a curse and I've turned it into a blessing, it's Jason. So I'm really, really thrilled to have him on the show. Um, He's talking about how when he got a parietal or a right-sided injury, he ended up with uh, pixelated vision. It's, it's called synesthesia. It's a way of seeing the world. And very often, dysfunctions like OCD and autism have this built into it where they see numbers, they see lines, they see shapes, they see mathematical things. Or um, in my case, the synesthesia was colors instead of sound. And I also see lines to behavior. So if I see people behaving, I can literally see a cobweb happen when somebody says something and arches an eyebrow, go over to somebody else and know what the response is going to be. So I walk around in a cobweb of behavioral lines, which is an interesting and unusual uh, type of synesthesia that I actually haven't heard about it. So I'm mentioning it. Maybe someone will come forward at some point and say, hey, I have that one too. So I use that for my work. It's why I'm able to help people change their behaviors so easily. Um, And so it's a blessing for me as well. So this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. I think you're going to hear great advice now. So please stay with us to the very end of the show. Also, to remind you that Jason has written a book, and it's called Struck by Genius, and I really want you to remember that because I can't think of anything more interesting (laughs) than Jason Padgett. (laughs) So I suggest we all get this book, and maybe I can talk him even to giving one away. We'll see. I'll ask him. All right, so let's get back to Jason. All right, thanks for letting me go la, 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 and talk a lot, Jason, and now it's your turn. Let's, Let's get into the brain a little bit. What do you think, given that you have this comparison, you have the comparison of your personality before the mugging, you have the comparison of your vision before the mugging. I mean, this is a great opportunity. You have the comparison of your thinking, your panic, your sensory overload. So if you were to take a minute and say, 
I'm going to give you three tips. And you were just to look at, let's say those three things, the OCD, the synesthesia, and then um, maybe the, the confrontational issue. Or you can pick your own three. What would your tips be to people to help them? <clears throat> excuse my throat. What would your tips be to the audience to help them to help their family members? Um, definitely like uh, with the OCD, um, I know it's, it, when you're in it, and it's really bad. It seems like it's going to be impossible to overcome, um, and and it's not. It, 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 but it really is a lot of little itty bitty tiny steps. You know, you hear about evolution changing things over time. It's it's basically evolving the way that you or changing the way that you behave, just tiny bits at a time. And and I was extreme, uh, you know, about touching things and. And when you really do it small steps at a time, like cleaning something with a bleach wipe, so you know it's clean, even though it's a light switch or a doorknob and you do not want to touch that and touch your face. But after you clean it, if you're able to do that or even just touch it, you know, and then touch it and touch part of your body, each time if you make a little bit further of a step, those steps add up and quickly, I mean, within weeks or, or a month, you will notice a dramatic change on the things that you're able to tolerate. Um, and for me, that was a breath of fresh air because OCD, it traps you and you can't leave uh, your house. You can't even leave your mind and you get you obsess going in circles. And even though you know you're going in circles and you know it's silly, you still keep repeating the behavior. So know that you can beat it and that you can, or, or even if you can't beat it completely, you can control it and get to a point of where you can have a good functional and happy life, you know. Yeah, I love that you said going in circles. So one of the things that, that I help people is I say, okay, you're in a circle. Now just, you either, you have a choice. Where's the where's the spot where you can get out of the circle? And we'll draw it and we'll look at all their, their circle and we'll say, can you get out here? Can we do it this way? Can we? And, and so when you, they actually visually understand it as a circle, they're looking for the little road out. And mm -hmm. actually sometimes we just make the circle bigger, bigger, bigger until it doesn't seem so much like a circle. And other times we find a, a path out. Um, so when you were going in circles and you were thinking to yourself, you know, this is crazy. I'm going in a circle. I know I'm going in a circle. How did you prevent it? What did you do to desensitize? Um, I went to a, a psychologist. I actually went to a psychologist and that's where I learned that they had therapies for it. Just one day it was just too much. I was literally micro, I was like spraying my money with Lysol, letting it dry, and then putting it in the microwave for 30 seconds to make sure I was killing all the germs on every single individual bill. Um, and that's just the beginning, you know, right. and, and I just remember thinking, this is, I didn't do this before and I'm alive, you know, so right. why am I doing it now? And, and it, 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 it took up so much time and and my my 18 year old daughter, who's 18 now at the time, was was young, and it was affecting her too. You know, seeing this, and I, the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, I don't want her to mimic this behavior, and I don't like this behavior. You know, um, I've got to find a way to do it. And then, even though I thought about calling a psychologist, just one day for some reason I did it, and making that call was, you know, the that was your way out of the circle, right? You yep. you believed it could be done, so you reached for somebody to help you do it. Yes. I think um, that's really actually a big point. And again, you had the comparison. This is, I, I keep saying it because it's so huge. A uh, person that's born with something just doesn't know that right. they're in something that doesn't have to be. 
that yeah. that they need two doesn't... different things to compare to, have, to say that they're relative to each other, you know. Right, oh. right. No, it's very big. So it's our job when somebody um, isn't struck by genius <laughs> and difference, when they're born with it, it's our job to developmentally help them desensitize and break the cycle, not to reinforce it. And thank you for helping me to make that point. Okay, so go on. So that's that's one. That's your OCD piece. And the other one, what was the next one? The, uh, well, let's do sensory. Let's do the sensory thing because you found yourself putting, you know, darkening your room and all that stuff. Why? Um, well, well, now, darkening the room, that was just to keep people away. That was just, just people coming up to the house, knocking at the door, trying to sell you something, somebody looking in the house. That was just an attempt to close out the world. Um, so that was more part of the OCD um, okay. than, than seeing things different. But, but when seeing everything pixelated and as these discrete frames, that was completely disorientating. Um, I had vertigo really badly. Um, where I mean, I remember at times trying to get out of bed, and literally my foot would go sideways. It, it, not only did it look like things would, would move the wrong way, but it would feel like it. Um, and so that was very difficult getting used to it. And that was just something that it just took time. It just took time for, I guess, my my brain to to rewire other parts of itself just to get used to seeing things differently. Right. Uh, it's like they have those people that put those goggles on that make it they see everything upside down. And at right, first they right. can't move, but then after a while they, their brain figures it out. And it was that type of thing. Okay. Okay. Did you ever have left hemisphere issues like where on the left you didn't see as well? Or you just neglected to see things? On the left side of my... Uh, yeah, it, well, you you were hurt in the right side more than the left. Your left parietal lobe started to hyperfire. So sometimes people get a thing called left hemispheric neglect. And so then, um, for example, there's a car on the left and they don't see it or they don't, uh, they don't eat the food on the left side of their plate. It's very interesting. You didn't have any of that? That is weird that you've seen it. Well, I've never mentioned it, but I've I started I would chew on on certain sides of, of my mouth and do things on when it comes to left or right. I would consider, although for some reason it seems like I'm trying to remember which side. For me, it was more about balance. You know, I mean, I would I would think, oh, if I'm chewing on my right side, if I chew a hundred times there and I only chew fifty times on my left, then I'm wearing my right side down twice as fast as my left side of my teeth. So I would try to balance things that way. Okay, so that's more that's more of an OCD type yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay, so um so you were just really trying to keep people out and that's why you did that and you had this vertigo and all that stuff and and there was time, but if you were to talk to a parent who or a family member, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a you know whatever, uh and you knew that they were struggling with that, what would be the advice you would give the family members on how to be helpful? Boy, don't make fun of it. That that right there is. Uh, I had several family members that would make fun of it. Con- I mean, constantly. I mean, like Mike, it, but in a nice way. Just they, they didn't understand. Like my dad didn't understand it, so he would come over and and say, "Hey, how's it going?" And then purposely rub his nose and then put his hand out for me to shake it. But do this over and over and over again. And he'd come in, oh, I just grabbed something dirty. Here, I just grabbed your garbage. Here, and then put his hand out. Just right. because he didn't know how to really cope with it because I was so completely different. And and on the inside, I am just screaming, you know, every time he would do it. But on the outside, I don't want to hurt his feelings, so I wouldn't express just how 
much anxiety he was creating when he would do that. And and so even even when it seems like you're really just joking and you really are just joking, the person who has OCD, it is it's probably even worse than just just dealing with something dirty, having somebody who is per- joking about it. Uh, okay, you uh, you see because of your subject, I don't know if you're aware, but you're saying such useful, brilliant things. And I'm just going to point them out each time. So you were talking about the outside inside. And so often um, we ask the kids or the adults that we're working with to give us a face of agreement or behavior or compliance and so that we can trick ourselves. And I'm talking about the family members or the teachers or the educators, you know, the medical professionals. And it's like, no, sit nice, put your hands nice, do all these things. We're asking them to trick us into thinking they got better. And you're talking about how inside, it's almost like you create a division, right? There's the inside reality of you, which is screaming in pain and, and confusion and hurt. And then there's this outside that you're presenting. So yes. did that make it, your divide worse and and make you be less inclined to people? Absolutely. It, Thank it, you. It was, it was <laughs> ding, so ding, torturous. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. And, and finally, one day I just just said it, you know, and and then it still didn't get the point across. You know, I had to say it like ten, fifteen times, and then finally one day sit down and say, "Listen, I really need you to understand that when I say it bothers me, I don't mean it bothers me. It is ripping me to pieces." You know, just just imagine what the, some horrible thing that would be for you to have to think about, you know, something that would just torture you. And whatever that is, even though it's different for me, that is what it's doing to me on the inside when you're doing that, even though I am not reacting to you on the outside, even close to how bad as to, to what it feels like. Uh, because at the same time, you don't want to hurt their feelings and and, right. Uh, <laughs> Here's what I love is I love what you're saying because everyone will perceive you're pulling away to protect yourself as you being antisocial when, in fact, what you're saying here is you did care. You don't want to hurt their feelings. They do matter to you. They matter so much that you have to pull away. Right. <laughs> Isn't that – Everybody's yeah. taking it the wrong way. It's, this is so funny. This is a complete lack of understanding. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Number three. Um, so here you are. You're seeing everything in fractals and and pixelation, and uh, you start drawing it. Great art, and it turns into math. So how did that benefit you and move forward in your life? And what would be the advice again that you would give to the people around? Because it does when someone who has a brain dysfunction is doing that so carefully and precisely it's often called a stim i don't know if you know this word but it's for self-stimulatory behavior and we see them doing these fascinating things over and over and try to stop them and get them to do other things so let's talk about that a little how that shaped you how it benefited you how you made it a plus instead of a minus it was actually therapeutic when i would draw it was like all that anxiety, once I, within like five minutes, I, you know, your pure athletes talk about being in the zone. I would go into a zone that everything else was gone. And I existed literally just within the lines of space time and, and, and how they move and vibrate. And I mean, you go into a complete different world and it's relaxing where I, I would draw for, you know, two hours and realize that I hadn't stressed. Not only had I not stressed, but I felt happiness, you know, yeah. the, the whole time. 
And so for me, it was it was therapeutic. I had no outlet. Again, all I had was layman terms, so I couldn't say things properly at first. And so just by drawing it allowed me to show people what I was talking about, at least somewhat. Like when I would say the rainbow is the number pi. And everybody would, teachers would look at me like I was crazy, family members. But then I finally was able to draw it and sit it down and put the drawing on top of a picture of the rainbow. And it's actually true. They literally are the same in real life. So when you're looking at the double rainbow, you are looking at the geometry of pi. But just but saying it was driving me nuts not being able to show it to anybody. So right, and so everybody's it. hearing you, and you sound like you're not intelligent, or you sound like you're just crazy. Right, or... so like the rainbow, huh? Well, taste, you know, it just it just sounds crazy. But but when, now that I've learned how to do it, and of course it's already the, the math has already been proved. Now that I've read up on all the reports and, and and things that they have on rainbows, they they already have every bit of knowledge that they need. They just didn't have somebody who saw it from the right point of view just to point it out. But it's already actually been proven. Um, well, I think that connected. is your gift. That is your gift because the truth is, again, we're back where we started, and I love when that happens in the show. Um, everybody taught, the professionals in any field, talk in a way that keeps them separate from everyone else. And that's yeah. why they can have knowledge, and lots of it. Um, neurofeedback has changed the face of things for everyone I've worked with. They had it always, and I didn't have it for my son because nobody told us. So there's not a bridge from the world of specialization to just sort of the average Joe, and your book should yes. do that, your movie should do that, and you do that. That's what I love doing is because there's a way to, like, explain relativity uh, whereas if you want to understand relativity or pi, like really technically, you got to have like just for pi, you got to have calculus three, calculus four, and a good understanding of it. Um, and relativity, you need basically a degree before you really can start, you know, at least a four-year degree before you really start saying it properly. But if you use the right words, you can say it, and every single person can understand exactly how pi works. And it takes less than a minute to a minute and a half to explain relativity to anybody. And and they'll and they'll forever understand it and they'll believe it because it really is real. It's just saying it the right way. So I mean, I, I can tell it if you want me to. I'm like salivating. <laughs> okay. so, yeah, I love because I have a math challenge. So if you can share things easier, I want to hear it. You'll, you'll understand. Okay, so you, a lot of times we hear all of these weird things, like when they talk about quantum mechanics, they're like that that apple is really an is red it's blue it's every color it's in every position at once and 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 all these things that sound like they're impossible or you hear about alternate realities you know mm -hmm. parallel universes and that sounds so bizarre there's just absolutely no way that that can be but that's kind of actually what relativity is and so i explain it by telling everybody okay we've all a lot of people have heard of the doppler effect but a lot of us mm -hmm. haven't, so I'll explain mm -hmm. that real quick. The Doppler effect is like when you hear a, a train or a car drive by you real fast, say on a racetrack, a car goes, and it drives by you, and the car's sound changes its pitch. And that's because short wavelengths are a high pitch of sound, and long wavelengths are a low pitch. And so the car's coming towards you, and since it's moving towards you, the sound wave's leaving it, but since it's coming towards you, the wave gets squished together, which makes shorter wavelengths, so you hear the pitch getting higher, and the car goes by you, and now it's moving away from you, so the wave stretches out and gets longer, and you hear the low pitch. But now we add relativity to that, and say the car's coming from me and towards you. Since it's moving away from me, relative to my position, 
I hear the pitch getting lower because it's moving away from me. The waves are stretching out. But relative to you, it's moving towards you, so you hear the pitch getting higher. The person in the car is traveling with the waves, so they hear a medium pitch. And what you do is you stop right there and say, what sound is it making? It's making a low pitch to me, a medium pitch to the person in the car, and a high pitch to you because it's moving towards you. (laughs) And then you say, which reality is the real one? All three are real. They're just relative. And then you take it one final step and say, now imagine we've got a billion people all looking at that same car, but every person's moving at a different speed, so the wave compresses differently. Every person hears a different sound. Every reality is different, just relative. That is so clear. Yeah, so the the car is literally making a wave that can be interpreted as any sound based on who's looking at it and how fast they're moving relative to it. And that applies to time. Time slows down the faster you go. That applies to light. So when you look at something, it's really every color. Depending on how fast you're going, you could make it look like any color. So it literally applies to everything. The Doppler That's so cool. So are you a math teacher now? Well, who are you now? What do you do now? Uh, what's in your future? And tell us how to get a hold of you, and will you give us a book? All of that, and you have like four minutes. <laughs> Yes, I could definitely definitely hook you up with the book. Um, I've been I just gave a TED talk and I've been doing a lot of uh, uh, speaking. Um, we have the movie uh, coming out uh, with uh, Sony and Channing Tatum. They optioned the movie. Um, hopefully that'll be the next. You know, I'm hoping the next three four years. You know, who knows how long those things take. Um, and some other mo- interesting movie stuff that I can't talk about yet, but it's, okay. but it's I can soon. Um, and basically, I, that's what I, I decided is that I remember thinking. Oh, I could I can use this to discover new and amazing things, but I found myself like, you know, finding things that have been you know discovered already. I felt like the professor from Gilligan's Island coming back and discovering all the things <laughs> that were made while he was on the island. So yeah. I remember thinking that about Pi, thinking somebody's got to know this about Pi, you know, and then finding out Archimedes, you know, <laughs> did it two thousand years ago. So but what I found is the best use is to explain or to right. teach it to people. Yes, be the bridge. That is your gift. You've got the the two worlds. You can merge them for us. And i got to tell you, this is very needed in the world. It's not just about math. It's about the wholeness of the circumstance. You've probably gifted my listeners in a way you can't even even comprehend because they're so flustered and frustrated by the professionals and their children. and, and, And thank you for sharing with us. So you are, okay, 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 okay. Jason is the great guest giveaway. He's offering up a book. If you want to get a hold of that, please email me, mom, number four, evermore, at juno, J-U-N-O dot com, and put in the um, subject line, struck by genius, first person gets it. Um, if you can't remember that, you could get to me through Lynette at LynetteLouise.com or Lynette at BrainBody.net. Lots of ways. Now let's find out how we get a hold of Jason. Jason, tell them what you want them to look at online and, and how they can check out your stuff. Um, on Fine Art America, I have got a lot of drawings on there with explanations next to them. And, and what's funny is some of them I drew at the very beginning so you can read the explanation next to it and see how it's completely in these layman terms. And then, like, if you look at pi uh, that I drew later on, you can see it in also in equation terms. So it's interesting watching it evolve uh, and, and just being able to look at it with, like, when I'm talking about how the rainbow is the number pi or, or how actually perfect circles don't exist. If you go on online and look at them, if, if they're very self-explanatory um, and, and fun well, to look at and, and just fun to, to, to learn and read about. 
Well, I think that's a beautiful thing to close on because perfect anything only exists if you accept its imperfection. And you are probably the most perfect guest for that. You've really shared a lot of insightful things. I would love to have you back at some point. I know you're a busy guy, but I don't mind waiting, so I'll keep emailing you. And we'll we'll maybe swing back around again at some point. Is there one last special thing you want to share with people before we say goodbye? Um, yeah, just just be patient. Both people who are in the situation and those people who are dealing with other or trying to understand people who are in some of these situations is, is just be as patient as you can and understand that you know a lot of times things aren't as simple or as you know black and white as they appear on the surface. You know, there's a lot or more going broken. on deeper. Or as broken, right? Exactly. Here you exactly. were doing this. Yeah, this gifted thing was happening and it was being perceived incorrectly. Yeah, at first it was completely like looked at like nuts, and then once I went back to school, learned how to say an equation, it turned on it turned completely around in one day. Um, yeah, well that's that's amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Go and be with your beautiful baby. Oh, and you and you have a new wife and all that stuff and a new baby and and life is better, right? Absolutely, I, I cannot believe where we are now compared to then. It's light years, completely different. All right, so. to everybody who has a developmental disability or a trauma disability, go get married and change poopy diapers. All right, yes. thank you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Wow, that was Jason Paget, who was mugged, kicked repeatedly in the back of the head, and given a type of brain damage that resulted in him being struck by the genius of mathematical equations. Now, that's exciting. Do not... Do not go hitting your children on the head. It's not going to work. It did give him all kinds of problems as well. I know I'm laughing while I say it, but honestly, um, sometimes when you're desperate, you'll try anything, and if it sounds like a good idea, you might even do it. So let's not do that, uh, mainly because you probably won't get what you want. They probably are already like this. If you're listening to my show, you're already dealing with some kind of brain dysfunction or you work in the world of brain dysfunctions or your child is autistic or whatever. And so if you're here today listening, then you already know that there's those times of desperation. But there are also many things that Jason talked about are similar for your population or for you. So what you want to do is not so much injure yourself as take his advice on how to get out of of the dysfunction piece of the injury and bless the gift. So let's talk about blessing the gift. Um, I'm doing two shows at once. This is a new spin on Autism Answers as well as the Brain Broad Builds a Brain. And so in the Brain Broad Builds a Brain, we always talk about a little bit of neurofeedback. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to mix it into stories from the road because in a new spin on autism, we always do stories from the road. And just before I do that, I have to do the brain broad ask the Google gods, how do you fix that? Now, we don't always do fix that. Sometimes we do how do you search that. So what I'm going to search is synesthesia so we can stay in the theme of things. Um, and that way it's not so challenging for us to uh, get through this show and make sure that everybody understood how the two shows came together. And by the way, if you are interested, if you're used to listening to the brain broad bill, 
child's brain and you're interested in a new spin on autism or vice versa, the easiest way to find both is just to go to my website, Lynette at LynetteLouise.com is an email way of getting me. Just go to LynetteLouise.com for the radio shows or BrainBody.net. Okay, synesthesia. We just... The brain brought us the Google gods. What the heck is that? Synesthesia is the production of a sense impression relating to one sense or part of the body by stimulation of another sense or part of the body. And that is exactly an example of what Jason and I were talking about. That's pretty hard to understand unless you're educated in this kind of speaking. So let me read from Neuroscience for Kids and see how they say it. Synesthesia can involve any of the senses. Oh, normal English, how lovely. The most common form, colored letters and numbers, occurs when someone always sees a certain color in response to a certain sound. Now, that was understandable. I want you to know that you can taste shapes, so you can be eating soup and say it has too many squares or triangles, and it's legitimate. You're actually having that experience. You're not crazy. The, just the senses have gotten confused. And one of your senses that isn't listed on your list of senses is shape shape recognition. And that's what happened to Jason. His parietal lobes, which is where all of that is happening, got affected by the brain injury. And so he started seeing shapes that became very useful for him. But they can be very problematic. I had a son who um, only liked people who looked like a seven. And if they looked like a four, he was very offended by their visual presence. This was not his fault. It was just something he had to learn himself away from, and we just slowly worked on it. All right, so it's a confusion of the senses where one sense is bleeding into another. That's the easiest way to say it. All right, it is time for Stories from the Road and the neurofeedback advice all mixed together. I'm going to do a story about me. So I was working with a man who's autistic. He got frightened by a dog. We are in Paris, France. I'm in front of the Eiffel Tower. Um, He goes running away from the dog. The leash catches my feet up. It's a big kerfuffle. And I fall and I hit the right parietal back of my head on the cement right in front of the Eiffel Tower. I've always wished this was on film because it would have been such a good backdrop to the occasion. I was unconscious for not very many seconds, just long enough to say, oh dear, this could be a real problem. I did what I have to do as a therapist, you know, I played it out as, oh, now you have to take care of me. I did all this stuff because that was where that particular person was at, learning how to take care of someone. And so it actually was a benefit in the moment. But when I got back to my hotel room and I sent him home, had his parents pick him up, and I was doing all the things I as a brain expert know to do. So I had neurofeedback. I had ice on my head because I could feel it swelling. Um, I did what I could. But I can tell you that immediately I felt antisocial. I felt so antisocial <laughs> that... Um, we the next day we had a a Thanksgiving dinner celebration and this is a family I'm very familiar with they're my bestest friends I love them dearly and they invited me to this event and I could barely stomach any association with people and the way that I survived it was to focus on my clients the boy that or young man who had caused the injury and get him to do um 
actually an amazing feat for him. Uh, he sang in public, and it was really awesome. And by focusing on my work, I was able to get through it. Uh, and my love for him and being very, very sort of fine-tuned focused, rather like what Jason was saying with the boy focusing on his mother in order to talk to him. So by doing that, I was able to get through it. But the antisocial nature of how I was for quite a while afterwards was intense. I got vertigo. I also had a mini stroke, um, probably from, you know, the, the, well, I have a few causes that, that could have led to it. So I'm not going to say for sure it's from the accident, but all these things mixed together. Um, I had a little left hemispheric neglect, so when I was pulling out with my car, I wouldn't see stuff on the left. Fortunately, again, I'm a brain expert, so I know what's going on as it happens. I learned to, I noticed that, and so now I'm looking to my left with my right hemisphere. That means I would have to turn completely um, and look actually turn it into my right so that I could see it. And then I have neural feedback. So I knew the vertigo could be fixed by putting the sensor on C3 or C4, which is, you know, on the right hemisphere, sort of at the top of your head. And I knew that because I knew where my injury was. I knew where the cochlea was, all kinds of things. So I went ahead and did neural feedback for the vertigo, righted that, taught my, my body to balance me by having a skin recognition. And then, so I, I would focus on where I was in space by paying attention to my skin as opposed to letting my eyes trick me. Um, and and then I just, you know, started to heal it using neurofeedback. Mostly the C4 began the process because I couldn't work on the parietals. They're too sensitive. Even today, if I do a EEG, one a multi-level EEG called a QEEG, and we compare it to the norm, I'm pretty far afield. But I've managed to compensate by rerouting and making new parts of my brain work. And I uh, and I never got back the synesthesia that I used to have as a child, but what I did get was these webs in that I was describing to people's behavior. So it actually benefited my work. There. So that's the story. I ran through it really quick because we're almost out of time, and I want to get to the most important moment. So after this this injury, I had a moment where I was looking down into a bunch of uh, bottles. So you have to imagine a bunch of shampoo bottles are all organized. And this man that I was working with, he likes to do that. And I leaned over and I looked down from the top. So we're looking down into the sort of the spaces between these bottles that are organized on a dresser. And I had a warm, happy feeling wash over me. It came into the pit of my stomach and it filled my whole senses. This warm, happy feeling made my day better. And so for a little while, I used that approach to try and improve my day. And that was my stim. So I really want to share with you that what looks like a dysfunction can be a blessing if you don't fight it and force it to hide inside. All right? And if you let people help themselves and get that warm, happy feeling, you can then say, good, so you have the warm, happy feeling, good, so let's try this thing that's a little hard. And then they can go back to the warm, happy feeling. And that, if we give you no other gift today, but that is probably going to change your life. So when you know what it feels like to be focused and something happens and you can't focus, you recognize you have a problem. If you've been 
vaccine damaged or genetically predisposed or hit in the head or uh, traumatized by some toxin in the in the environment. Uh, you know, you if you were young, don't have a comparison because you don't have words at the time it happens. You can't say what just happened to you. By the time you could say, if you could say, you're, you know, you're lost to it. So please be aware that there's much more to your family member than you might think. And that explains a lot of why some of the non-verbal kids, as it turns out, are really brilliant. My minimally verbal son for the longest time was the greatest quantum physicist. Now... You, yes, you. <laughs> now that he's minimally verbal, he's not so great at math. It's a trade-off. All right. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, also known as the Brain Broad. And you've been listening to a new spin on Autism Answers as well as the Brain Broad Builds a Brain. Thank you for being here. Build a brain, build a brain. Once you learn to do it, you are never the same. Build a brain. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, a real-life guide to autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.